Thank you to that worship team. Every Tuesday we seem to have a different worship team, and we are so blessed at Tyndale. I have so many gifted people. Um, I've been dreaming about playing with Adam for, well, for a year or so, so uh, it was so nice to play today. I tried to play quietly so you could hear him. He's incredible. So my name is Rob, and I give direction to the alumni and church relations departments here at Tyndale. Um, it's an interesting job. Um, it's like herding 12,000 cats. We are 12,000 alumni, and they are a wild and wonderful group. Look next to you. They might be sitting next to you. Um, it's fair to say that they are a more A-type group than your average 12,000 people. They are interesting. Our alumni lead churches. They serve in dozens of mission organizations. They run medical companies. They run hamburger restaurants, one of the top 10 restaurants in Toronto. They develop tech companies and websites. They teach English in closed countries. They sell real estate. They write books. They run a business supplying moist towelettes and hot towels. They write books. They teach children. They serve at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, offering dentistry and Christian counseling. They do stand-up comedy and they do just about everything else. And those sitting here can say, well, you missed this, Rob, and they raise beautiful children as well. Um, and let me tell you, it doesn't end. They retire well as well. We have an 82-year-old student here uh, who graduated 30 years ago, and she's still trying to finish her degree. Uh, no, she's, she's working on, yeah, I know, she's working on another degree. She never stops. Um, and our alumni, I was talking to a couple last week, and um, they finally retired, and they're off to India the next month for three months. So uh, I'm looking forward to retirement as well with my alumni who I am married to, who will complete her doctorate here, Lord willing, in a few months' time, um, my wife. Um, they are the most interesting, gifted, dynamic group of people you will ever meet. And today we are surrounded by them. We're 33, 34 alumni, so you can see the little Shekinah glory over their head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. So, um, so if you get a chance, take a moment, welcome them back home to Tyndale and ask them what they're up to and get ready for a good story. Ready for a good story. It's a unique time at Tyndale. It's what um, I would call a kairos time, a time when God does something unique in our midst, a time um, when we are stretched, when we move forward in faith. And the key word in that is move forward for us moving to the other campus in faith. We're a family, the Tyndale family, and we have two homes. Have you ever owned two homes at one time? We own two homes. Uh, we're living in both homes. One is sold here, and we're moving out. The other one is new, but it's not really new. It's old, and we're renovating it. We have to do more than update the kitchen. We had to put $2 million into electricity and a new substation. Um, when you have two homes, you have issues. First issue, you have to clean two houses. And I don't know about you, but cleaning one is enough for me. You have to pay for two houses. You have to heat and have light and water and everything for two houses. Um, you're always moving from one house to the other house. And whatever you need is always in the other house. And wherever person you want to see is always in the other house. We're digging a trench with our cars between this campus and the other campus going around that corner. Um, um, and also, when you're living in this house, and you're moving to that house, and you're leaving this house, everybody is moving. 
We are not holding our spaces to ourselves. We know that it won't be long and we will be moving somewhere, down the hall, up, over, we don't know. It's a unique time, and if you've ever moved, you know that moving is a stressful time. And stress causes suffering. And suffering causes cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance makes you miserable. (laughs) Makes you a complainer. What do you call me, Sarah? My wife, an angry old man or something like that every now and then? A grumpy old man. Thank you, that's much nicer. Thank you, sweetie. 27 years married, and that's a... That's what I get. So it, ha- <laughs> so it finally happened last week. I was up in the kitchen on the third floor, and someone came in, and she goes, oh, my, the sweat is dripping down my back. I hate this heat. And it was only four months ago that we had take a, taken a sacred vow to never complain about the heat. Remember four or five months ago? Remember that winter? that we thought would never end. We thought we would never see grass again this year. It was incredible. Um, And we made a sacred vow that we would never curse the heat. Um, After those freezing nights and cold, dark days, we made a vow. We would rest in the warmth of summer. But Wednesday morning, one of our staff workers, and her name, she may have been one of the singers on the team, I won't say. Um, (laughs) she, She came into the kitchen and, uh, and she complained about the heat. And I reminded her of her sacred vow to embrace the warmth. She dropped her eyes and confessed and that she did indeed remember the vow and that she would try again not to fall to the temptation to complain. Our scripture this morning comes from Philippians 2.14. It says, do everything without arguing or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. If you want to be a star, stop complaining. That's what it says. And I love this scripture. Written by a man who is in prison, in chains, away from his family. He has been beaten and abused, and like those of us who suffer on the third floor, he has no air conditioning. In reality, he didn't know if he was going to live or die. Um, From a human perspective, we'd say that his situation was grim. This prisoner by the name of Paul had reason to grumble and complain, but he doesn't. Instead, he writes this beautiful letter to the family of faith in Philippi. The book is called Philippians, and it's characterized not by pain, unhappiness, or hopelessness. Rather, it is characterized by joy. Joy and happiness, written by a prisoner. Incredible. Paul has this deeply ingrained joy that is not determined by circumstances. His joy is not determined by what's around him. His joy is from within. He uses two words uh, to describe negativity. And the first word in verse 14, verse 14 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing and complaining, is gongusmos. Please, this is Greek. You remember it, you uh, uh, alumni. Say with me, gongusmos. It means arguing or complaining. Say again, gongusmos. I would like you to turn to the person beside you and whisper loudly, gongusmos, 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 gongusmos. Beautiful, beautiful. You'll never forget that Greek word. Gongusmos. Complain or argue. It also means murmuring. Um, To murmur means to grumble under your breath. It's quiet. 
but it's there, and everyone knows it's there. There's a lovely English word, onomatopoeia. You know that word it means? A word that sounds like what it is. A bee goes buzz. Buzz is onomatopoeia. Um, interestingly, Batman is really into onomatopoeia. His favorite words are crash, boom, kapow, and my favorite, thwack. Do you remember that watching? That's all onomatopoeia. Um, so Greek has its own onomatopoeia, and gongusmos is an example of it. Gongusmos in Greek. It sounds like you're complaining. You're, 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 you're unhappy with something or someone, or you're unhappy with everyone and everything. Gongusmos. Gongusmos. You're skulking around gongusmosing. You're just unhappy. The other word complain is dialogismos. You won't, don't, don't, that, that one's not nearly as fun as gongusmos. Um, that means arguing or disputing. These two words are similar, but they reveal two sides of complaining. Murmuring is complaining about our circumstances to ourselves with the hopes that others will see it. Arguing, on the other hand, is complaining with others. It's, it's team complaining, uh, making everyone else miserable. So murmuring is grumbling to myself with the hope that others will see that I'm not happy. Why do I want them to see that I am not happy? So that they might be unhappy with me. Or I might feel, unjust, or I might feel justified in my grumpiness. This is all theoretical for me. Yeah, I've never, I've never been grumpy. So, arguing, on the other hand, is living out your anger with others. You take your inner unhappiness and you spread it around. You spill it all over people. You, um, you share your unhappiness and your anger with others, and they usually give anger back to you. You know, people give back what you give them, and then everybody is unhappy. Isn't that lovely? That's arguing. Sharing your unhappiness. Come, share in my unhappiness. Then we can be grumpy together. That's what that's all about. But Paul says no to gongusmos and no to dialogismos, no to arguing, no to complaining. Rather, he calls us to live counterculturally. Here's the basic question. What is the base motivation for arguing and complaining? Why do we argue and complain? Sorry, I was an, a missionary in Africa for 13 years, and they talk back. But, uh, because the geese wake up too early, gongusmos. Gongusmos, those darn geese. They should never be here. They attack students. There should be a law against geese. I, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of the new campus, but they've drawn the geese in the pictures of the new campus. What are they, what are they trying to do? We want to get rid of the geese. Gongusmos. That's a good word for the geese. It's a good word. Why do we argue and complain? Because you don't like the geese. It's about you. I don't like the geese. You don't like the geese. It's about me. I am unhappy. I don't like geese. It boils down to me and my motivation. I am driven by me. What's my main motivation? Me. Now, it might be hard to believe, but I am not perfect. You can see the one person just going like this, and you, you might notice that was my wife. So, I just wanted to thank you for coming today, honey. That was so nice of you to join us uh, for chapel today. I am not perfect. We're married 27 years, and she can tell you that. But this is a story. I'm 16 years old. I'm living here in town, 
and I'm starting my undergraduate degree at Glendon College. I'm studying psychology in French, of all things, down at, at Glendon, at York University. And I get a job at the YMCA, at uh, Shepherd and Bayview, brand new YMCA. This is 1979, 80. I know you can't believe I'm that old. But um, 79, 80. And I come home, and my mother says, Rob, you're in university now. I say, yeah, Mom, I am. She goes, Rob, you're making money now. I said, yeah, Mom, I am. She says, it's time for you to pay rent to live at home. So I look at my mother like an abandoned child. My jaw drops. I am not a hired hand. I am not a stranger. This is my house. I stay for free. This is how it works, Mom. All my life, I stay for free. You feed me. I am your progeny. You take care of me. Well, my mother wouldn't listen to logic that day. Uh, I was going to pay $100 a month, and I was going to start paying now. I was not amused. On the first of every month, my mother would have to remind me that it was time to pay. And I would tell her, I don't have enough money. She would say, you have a bank account. I would speak about the injustices of unkind mothers and their poor decision-making. I would complain about the high cost of school that they were helping me to pay. But that's not the point. It's still very expensive. My, my mother was deaf to my cries for help. I was a broken young man. I paid every month for that degree for three years. It was the good days of the three-year undergraduate degree in psychology. I grudgingly, complainingly, unthankfully complained like a little ungrateful punk. Three years later, it's graduation day. We'll gather together at the house for the celebration meal. Can you believe it? Rob graduated from university. My family, my sisters, and my grandparents came to congratulate me. We had a wonderful meal. They gave me gifts. There was a new shirt. There were some books. And there was an envelope. I love envelopes. I opened the envelope, and there was a lovely graduation card inside, telling my mom and dad telling me how much they love me. And inside that envelope was another piece of paper I like, a check. I looked at the check. The check was for $3,600, a huge check. Like back then, you can buy a car with that, you know, a huge check. I asked, what's this about? My mother told me a story. She said, Rob, when you began university, I opened up a bank account at the TD at Fairview Mall for you. And every month that you paid me $100, I took that money across and I deposited it in your bank account. My money, my, your rent money went directly into the bank. And she never let me know. She's terrible. <laughs> there I was every month complaining about the rent. I was a spoiled child. And there she is quietly putting the money into the bank for me. I was grumbling. I was complaining. And she was saving every penny for the ungrateful son that she loved. I have the best mother. So I learned a lesson that day. Never trust your mother. No, that's not the lesson. <laughs> I, learned a, I learned a lesson that day about being thankful. I learned a lesson about not complaining. And I haven't forgotten it. And I realized that my life was too much about me that day. And that my mother was thinking about me too, but in love. And I did not deserve my mother or her love. And in the same way, I didn't deserve Christ and his love and his forgiveness. But I was going to shape up. I was going to shape up that day. 
The Apostle Paul says we are to be different. We are not to be motivated by me. We are to be motivated by Christ. Same uh, chapter, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, you must have the same attitude, it can also be translated motivation, as Christ. He humbled himself, gave up his position, and made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. That drives us to look at the world and others and our difficult situations in a different light. Here's how uh, I understand today's scripture. It's Jesus saying, this is your Savior speaking. The one who loves you so much, do everything without arguing or complaining. This is your Savior speaking, the one who has a claim on your gratitude, who has forgiven you from all things. Do everything without arguing or complaining. So what drives a life without arguing and complaining? Love, gratitude, a desire to please Christ. That's where a life of thankfulness comes from to have the attitude of Christ. As we move deeper into this time of campus transition, there's going to be a temptation to grumble about the situation. Here is some grumbling that I have heard so far. Number one, there is not enough parking. Or it's too far away. Number two, it's too hot. Number three, it's too cold. Number four, these fire alarms, they keep going off and off. If you're in the other campus, as, as they're doing work, the fire alarms are going off. And we are, you remember the story of crying wolf? So now when the fire alarm goes off, we kind of, we don't jump up and run out. We kind of look around, kind of go, is it real? Is it real? They say now, if the fire alarm goes off, just stay seated. <laughs> but if you hear a horn blowing, that means the fire alarm really was a fire alarm. So remember that. Uh, another complaint, no water. Or the water is a funny color. Here's another one. It smells like paint around here. There's going to be a lot of paint on this new campus. We better get used to that. Uh, next one, double booked rooms. I thought I had this room for my meeting. Uh, here, here's my favorite so far. I go to the conference that I'm helping to prepare for. It starts at 10.30. It's, I'm there early. I go downstairs. It's 10 o'clock. The construction workers are removing the ceiling just outside the room where the conference is being held. I say, hi, guys. They say, hey, Rob, what are you doing? Well, we're putting a six-inch hole in the concrete using percussion drills. Because we have to put a four-inch duct through this six-inch hole. I go, isn't that interesting? And I say, uh, when are you doing that? They say, well, we should be able to get it done this morning. And I said, well, did you know that we have 100 people coming for a conference down those stairs in that auditorium, just inches from where you are percussing a six-inch hole in concrete? Um, so I made some phone calls. And they kindly changed their schedule and moved their drilling to later in the day after the conference was over. Um, we have a choice to be thankful we have an opportunity to grow and develop, or we can argue and grumble and complain. We can blame someone else, we can argue among ourselves, or we can make some phone calls, we can find alternatives, we can change rooms, we can deal with the issue gracefully and with a Christ-like level of excellence. We always laugh when someone yawns and it causes someone else to yawn. We say that, uh, uh, that yawning of yours that yawning is contagious. Whenever you yawn, it makes me yawn. Well, there's something far more contagious than yawning, and it's complaining. When you start to complain, it gives others permission to complain. 
And as leaders, we are being watched and heard. When this school is full of students again, and in the blink of an eye, it's going to be full again. It's so important that we keep our attitudes positive because positivity is contagious as well. Affirming, supporting each other. We need to share this journey in a positive manner. Now, I'm not just um, speaking this to those who, who are serving at Tyndale, staff, faculty, and students here now. It's to all of us. So to those of you who came today, our alumni, I say thank you. It's a Kairos time. It's an important time at Tyndale. God is working in us and through us. Um, the author of the psalm, Psalm 119, said, My troubles turned out for the best. They forced me to learn from your word. Psalm 119. So let us be a unique people. Whether we are serving at Tyndale, working in a church, running a business, selling real estate, whatever we are doing, may we leave gongusmos behind us and live a life of thankfulness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Help us to be blameless and pure in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Help us to see life and faith and our struggles through your eyes. Father, help us to put gongusmos behind us and thankfulness in our eyes. Make us a gift and make us a blessing to those around us today. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming to chapel today. For our beloved alumni, we have a little lunch and then a tour of the new campus. And to those of the rest of you, staff and faculty and students, blessings on your day. Go in peace. Thank you.